Hey there, we're coming at you from the green couch here at BCP. I'm your host, Kylie Rogers-Strahan, Account Executive and Digital Marketing Director. Today, I'm joined by our co-host, Catherine Furland, our Copywriter and Digital Specialist. Hey! For today's episode, we talked with Barry Demp via Skype. Barry is a business coach extraordinaire. He has coached thousands of individuals for his 26-year career in his involving field through workshops, seminars, speaking engagements, and customized coaching programs for both individuals and organizations. He's the author of the Quotable Coach blog, a short daily blog that includes quotes that help with self-reflection. He compiled these quotes into a book, The Quotable Coach, Daily Nuggets of Practical Wisdom, which can be found on Amazon. This is a two-part episode, so get cozy. We chatted with Barry about his career and some best practices for business. You will soon be able to find part two on our website, bloomcreative.com, or by subscribing to our podcast. All right, here we go. How are you doing this morning? Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Well, it's my pleasure. I was wondering if you could walk me through what made you decide to take the leap from your previous positions in sales into business coaching. Okay, great. Well, uh, my first uh, profession outside of college, I went to university and I have a degree in teaching, was um, I taught for two years in the Philadelphia public school system. And at the time, they had declining enrollments. So what ended up happening was every summer they would lay me off and every fall they would hire me back and that happened for two years. Now, I used to be a science teacher and I also had this desire to be like Mr. Wizard uh, Mr. Wizard was a guy, you know, probably in the 60s, 70s or whatever, that would engage people in lots of interest around science. So I always had this curiosity and desire to love to learn. So this idea of being a science teacher seemed like a good idea. But when I got laid off, I made $154 a week. And the reason I remember that is I made $156 a week on unemployment. So that actually happened two years in a row. And after the second year, I took my science background and my teaching degree, and I became a pharmaceutical sales representative for the Upjohn company, which no longer exists. So Upjohn is now a small little piece of Pfizer pharmaceuticals. So I had a 12 and a half year career with Upjohn in sales, in marketing, in product management, in international product management, and it was a great career. But at the ripe old age of 35, I'm 61 now, I was watching the Olympics in Barcelona, Spain. And in the Olympic Games in Barcelona, there were 5,000 athletes, but there were 2,000 coaches. And every one of those athletes had a coach. So the correlation was 100%. And I realized that those athletes all wanted one thing, which was a gold medal. So it hit me like, what a great idea. What about business people? What about people in their careers? What about people in their relationships? Could I have a gold medal career or gold medal relationship or gold medal health? And I thought if we could bring this idea of coaching to all dimensions of one's life, that would be a worthwhile thing to do. So what I did was nobody else was doing that, so I made it up. So that's how I got started in coaching 26 years ago. So fast forward a couple of years, I joined the International Coach Federation, which was in its infancy. In 1996, I was fortunate to be the first master coach in the state of Michigan in 1999. I played the role of president of the Coach Federation for well over a decade, and I still love what I do. So that's how I got into coaching. 
Wow, that's awesome. So were you involved in the, the early leadership movement um, of business coaching? You know, because I know you said it wasn't as popular when you first got started in it, but how do you think it's, why do you think it's gained steam over the years? Well, uh, when I was uh, in, uh, in my professional life, we used to have mentors and managers that uh, focused a great deal on uh, in grooming and developing uh, their talent. I think more so that these days, people are so busy that they're not able to do that quite as much as they may have in the past. So although there may be a little bit of mentoring and a little bit of management, this idea of providing customized coaching solutions for high potential individuals in their organizations became essential to both attract talent and to retain talent, which will be increasingly more and more difficult as the baby boom generation moves on. So this idea of uh, well over about 65, 70% of Fortune 500 companies utilize some form of internal and external coaching. And the field is now somewhere between two and $3 billion as an industry. Uh, when I got started, it was in its infancy and I took a leadership role and I've had the good fortune and honor of coaching somewhere between 80 and 90 other coaches over the years uh, to become coaches as well. Wow, that, that's amazing to, you know, just to be a, a part of that movement from the very beginning, you know, and that's blossomed so much in the last few years. So in your coaching relationships, I, um, I know that you cover a full gamut of topics from business specific to kind of more general life coaching, you know, tips and suggestions. So do you feel like there's a clear distinction between the two, between business coaching and life coaching? You know, all coaching is really life coaching. We don't always necessarily call it that. So, but if you look at your life, what percent of your life is your job or your career? So most people who hire me have a high degree of focus on their professional world as a priority first. So whether they're in executive leadership or they're a business owner or they're a high potential individual wanting to be more successful, their career, which they may spend eight, nine plus hours per day becomes one of the bigger priorities. However, the same skills and the same tools and the same concepts spill over into other dimensions of your life, such as family or health, or just simply you know, engagement in, in life and, uh, and having a great one. Keeps people pretty balanced, I feel like, once they kind of get a hold of their work life and understand the coaching element, because it does, as you said, it relates back into your your personal life. So I feel like it creates a personal balance for everybody, do you think? Well, there's a there's a fundamental set of essential skills that I think all people can benefit from, and those skills are applicable in their professional world, but they're quite important on a personal basis. So just the whole idea of communications and relationship skills. Being more masterful at that will have you be a better, you know, uh, Coworker, a better leader, uh, a better family member, a better son or daughter, and so on. So wherever we go, there we are. But working on what some people refer to as the softer skills, communications, leadership, management, coaching, and, and so on, those soft skills as well as emotional intelligence are critical components for being both successful, effective, and, and actually happy. Right, right. When somebody reaches out to you and they want um, some business coaching, what are the first steps um, that you go through with them? Good question. 
Uh, well, the first part is, is find out why they reached out in the first place. So people usually have either projects or front burner issues or top you seek out coaching in the very first place. And it's a good idea to simply understand what were some of those priority reasons for them to reach out. Once we have that as an initial sense of where some of the value is, I take them through a, a customized discovery process by which they complete some online surveys from my website to determine whether they're a good candidate and whether they're ready to work in a coaching relationship with myself. And there are other assessments that help them further clarify the focus and the value and the specific yes that they would be uh, agreeing to should we move forward. So that idea of a discovery process can take an hour or two uh, to take the time to see, is this likely to be a successful relationship? And what would I be working on on an individualistic basis that would be worthwhile? So if these people want to be better leaders or better managers or coach and mentor their team or they're in sales and they want to improve their business development and networking skills, each individual that I work with gets their own unique kind of yes that they're saying yes to. And so what are some of those characteristics of somebody who would make a good candidate for business coaching? Well, very good. Uh, on my website, there's actually something called a coaching candidate assessment survey. But you know, some of those qualities would include a, an openness and a receptivity to new ideas and new thinking, you know, that willingness to go outside the proverbial comfort zone, uh, people who are highly committed to their growth and development and are open and receptive to new ideas and operating in new and different ways, uh, people who have a, a good work ethic, people who have a strong level of integrity, uh, people who want to you know, simply learn and grow and be the best version of themselves. Those are some of the general areas that have uh, somebody saying, you know, those are qualities that I have and those are attributes that I exemplify. Right, right. And then you take those first steps with them like we were discussing. That's great. Exactly. Yeah. So you sent over a list of success best practices and it includes um, 24, 25 um, key points that it seems like you go over with all of your different, um, you know, coaching clients. And, and so I was hoping that we could dive into a few of them because I know that for Kylie and I, a few of them were, were very surprising and very interesting and we'd love to hear some more of your thoughts on them. Okay. Well, perhaps I can share with you that, that success best practices is simply a little talk or speech that I give to local groups. And it just engages people in this conversation of you know, what's possible uh, in and around a coaching conversation. So usually when I am finished that interactions with people, they want to know what their version of success is and where do they need to take a deeper dive and so on. So it's more of a little bit of a teaser as opposed to a part of my curriculum that I might take somebody through. Uh, in, in the coaching process. Right. Uh, when I do work with an individual, it's very often that I'll spend an entire day with them and uh, uh, create and demonstrate a, a customized workshop for that individual to lay the foundation for coaching. And then we really focus on those priority areas, both professional and personal, that they want to pursue. So this uh, success best practices is somewhat of a little bit of a teaser that allows people to engage in a very dynamic and very diverse set of practices that help people in general be more successful. So that's why uh, I sent that over to you to give people a little bit of a smorgasbord. Right. 
Right. Well, and it seems like it serves a bit as a um, as a self-diagnosis tool. So what, as I'm reading through it, what really jumps out to me is something that I need to work on or, you know, something that, that, um, that is a new concept to me, you know, that maybe I haven't considered in my workplace. Just to even get your, your mind thinking about it and in that, that process flow, it really helps intrigue me into this. <laughs> but the one that really stuck out to me was um, you had on here, identify your successful and limiting habits and learn to pivot. And so I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit, kind of what the general principle is, and then also if you could define what you mean by pivot, because I know that that means something different to everybody sure. else. Happy to. Uh, if you just simply look at the research done in and around this idea of habits, there's all kinds of different thinking about what a habit is. But uh, habits are things that we develop over many years, and uh, there's a benefit to a habit. Uh, and unfortunately, not all habits are good ones, but habits are what we call energy efficient. There's a certain amount of momentum, and we don't even have to think about our habits. So whether it's driving to work, and realizing that somehow magically you got there or doing something somewhat effortlessly. Uh, like uh, when I was a young man, I used to uh, uh, work in a bakery and I could crack 30 dozen eggs in under 10 minutes with two hands. Well, just that practice created this muscle memory that I can crack an egg with one hand and people say, well, how do you do that? Well, I habituated that idea. So when we understand our great habits, the ones that serve us and give us the kind of life that we want, we can expound on that, we can enhance that, we can practice more, we can take it to the next level. So one of the things that coaches do, including myself, is understanding people's strengths and the habits that support those strengths and put more time and energy in expanding them so that they're valuable and impactful. At the same time, we have to be far more mindful and self-aware of what are those limiting habits, those things that diminish our lives. And it could be our exercise habits or our eating habits or our communication habits. And the more aware we are of those, the more we can identify those and actually replace them with uh, behaviors and exercises and ongoing practices that will have us be more masterful and successful moving forward. So the word pivot came pretty much from a, a, uh, like a football uh, analogy. And if you think about a running back running down the field, his reality is he's on the 50 yard line and he's running. And he, his vision for the future is to score a touchdown. But unfortunately in the way are these 11 other people that wanna clobber the guy and keep him from doing so. So what he does is he pivots and, and changes direction and moves around to dodge those other defensive people so that he can forward the ball, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So when we pivot, it actually is a three-step process. It's one, assessing the current reality of a situation. Two, identifying the vision or the preferred state that we want to get at. The gap between those two is what we call creative tension and new behaviors and new actions and, and new efforts to move in that direction is the third part of the pivot. So it's really a matter of one, two, three. So for instance, if you drive from place A to place B, you don't realize that you're constantly assessing your reality, you're constantly assessing where you wanna to get to, and you're constantly making adaptions with putting the gas pedal on, putting the brake on, and turning the wheel in order to get where you wanna go. What we do with an individual is we do that intentionally 
on their priorities, on their projects, on their front burner issues, and on their relationships so that they can say, this is where I am, and this is where I want to be, and this is what I'm currently doing. But more importantly, this is what I plan to do. And I eventually want to habituate those new skills, those new communication skills and leadership skills and so on, to get there better, quicker, faster. Right, so creating kind of a more concrete plan to uh, to handle some of those limiting habits that you have. Sure, or expanding the really good ones that you have. You know, playing to your strengths is a great strategy. If you're an A student, why not be an A student versus be a C student and try your hardest and you may only get to a B minus or something. So many times we try to play to people's strengths and not just identify their weaknesses and try to shore them up. You know, I was listening to a pod, another podcast the other day, and they were saying that exact same thing. So growing up, a lot of times parents are looking at report cards, you know, and this happened to me where they're like, oh, you need to increase your math skills, you know, so you get a better grade in that class. But nobody ever really f- takes time to really focus on those strengths, and maybe the creative or the writing class was an A+, plus compared to a B in math. I'm assuming I had those good of grades, but we'll see. I don't. I don't remember. But um, but you know that's part of growing up and building that habit, even as you're growing up from a little child. Is nobody really identifies those strengths and plays to them um, as you continue to grow. So that is something I feel like a, probably a difficult mindset for somebody to get into and learn that way of thinking. Well, you know, you know, being better at your weaknesses versus being better at your strengths. There's a lot of research that's been done in that arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most notable people in that arena is Marcus Buckingham. He wrote a book uh, well over a decade ago called Now Discover Your Strengths. He used to work for the Gallup organization and they did a study with over two million people and identified what they call signature strengths. Mm-hmm. And by investing time and energy and enhanced habits in those areas of strengths, he found that people were both more productive and far more fulfilled and satisfied in their efforts. Yeah. As opposed to you get all A's and a C and suddenly mom and dad want you to get that C back up there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the, is that part of the Strength Finders testing? Yeah, Strength Finder 2.0 yeah. or now discover your strength mm-hmm. or you know, just simply doing a Google search for Marcus Buckingham. Uh, as a way of looking at that and uh, tapping into the strengths of an employee base Mm -hmm. and also understanding the weaknesses that people have to see that one complementary strength can support a weakness in another individual. Right. Right. Great point. Right. Well, and so I'm wondering, I know with things like grades, you know, and and, and other weak habits that we may have, there's, there's not a whole lot that we can do, you know, to... Let's see, what am I trying teach to Teach a dog old tricks, or new tricks. <laughs> yeah, to teach a dog new tricks. And, you know, you can't give up, Kylie, for, to, to follow your analogy, mm-hmm. you can't just give up on math because you're not good at it. Right. You know, you do need to kind of work through it. So when, in the professional world, kind of beyond these analogies, when is it appropriate to, you know, stop working on your weaknesses, find a creative way around them, versus tackling them head-on um, and trying to improve them and make them strengths? Well, that's a that's a that's a sixty-four thousand dollar question or the million dollar question, <laughs> and that is, you know, where do we focus our time and energy? So we're going to make an investment of time and energy and effort. The real question is, is there a, a, a payoff or a value in a particular area? 
For instance, there are many people who are shy or introverted, and yet their communication and relationship skills are essential for success and essential for happiness in general within various communities. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be the life of the party and wear a lampshade and be giving talks to thousands of people, but it does mean that you need to be working on some of those fundamental uh, skills that will enable you to uh, participate actively and be successful in, in various communities. So that's why I always emphasize communication skills and leadership skills and empowered management skills and even self-coaching skills. So all my clients learn how to coach themselves even when I'm not around so that they can move in a favorable direction even when they find that their current efforts are coming up short. Like you mentioned earlier, there's definitely an element of collaboration to that, finding um, other people's strengths who maybe could complement your weaknesses. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so I was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about the balance in the workplace between you know, kind of being a go-getter and um, you know, being focused on yourself and your own strengths and then also making sure that you're open to team collaboration. Well, we all participate in various communities. So at work, we're involved with various communities. And generally, within that community, that community has different goals and aspirations and areas of focus. Uh, within that in mind, it's essential for a collaborative leadership effort to, to be engaged in, such that we have a sense of shared purpose and shared direction of where we're going. And then we can take a look at our individual and collective efforts to get there. So the acronym TEAM, T-E-A-M, most people realize that it also means together everyone achieves more. But that allows us to take a look at our own individual interest as well as our collective interest to see where and how we can participate and contribute to that overall effort. On the other hand, we have other dimensions of our lives where we may be with family or even uh, in our own world of our own interest. And that allows us some latitude and freedom to pursue our interest uh, that brings us uh, satisfaction and success, whatever that may be. I happen to like cooking. I happen to like documentaries. I happen to like science and nature. So I'm able to spend certain aspect of my days and times in those areas that fill my bucket up, which may or may not necessarily be of great interest to other people around me. Right, so it's, it's all about balance, you're right. There definitely um, are, are different sides to the coin. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to, to life balance a little bit. Um, you have one point here that says, life balance is bunk. What matters is if you are happy. Um, yeah, and uh, some of your listeners may uh, be familiar with a publication called Fast Company. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about you know trendy, innovative, progressive organizations and so on. But they had an article in the mid-2000s that said life balances bunk. And I didn't necessarily like that title because I thought, well, you know, I'm here to help people find that balance. And then when you do the research and explore that topic in great detail, you will find that the happiest people around actually have imbalanced lives. And the key is that they choose that imbalance. And that is, we may have a career that we just love and we lose ourselves in it. And we're okay working 10, 11, 12 hours just because it brings us a lot of satisfaction and joy. There are other people who work six or seven hours a day 
that despise their work. It's toxic. They hate it. So even though it looks like you know they have more time for this and less time for that, the real question is, what makes you happy? So as you begin to look at your day and your life and the communities in which you operate in, you know, picking and choosing those communities that serve and support your vision and values and commitments usually has people be more engaged. And when they're more engaged, they're happier and more successful. And if you really look at the numbers, they're usually out of balance, but they choose their imbalances as opposed to it being thrusted upon them. That's hard to do, I feel like, for some people. Well, just the fact that they're aware of where they feel most alive and where they feel kind of in limbo and where they feel maybe even dead or you know depressed. You know, think about the, the, the average person Sunday night or Monday morning, how do they feel? Mm-hmm. Are, they, are they leaping out of bed, can't wait to get at it? Right. Or there's a little bit of doom and gloom, a little bit of dread. Right. On the other hand, there's people that just can't wait waking up and being engaged in what they get to do. Mm-hmm. Just look at little kids. Mm-hmm. When I was a little boy, waking up Saturday morning was an exciting thing to do because we got to watch cartoons. <laughs> and cartoons were only on certain times, and you had to get up. Right, right. It's like getting up them. for Christmas. Like, why would you stay in bed? <laughs> right. you know, let, let's get down there and open those darn presents. Mm-hmm. So having something to look forward to. So in the coaching relationship, the individuals that I work with get to make it up. Awesome. They get to invent that possible professional and personal future based upon their values and commitments. And then they go pursue that. And in doing so, the journey in and of itself is a reward as well as achieving and reaching that destination as well. Beautiful. That's the ideal mindset that you wanna have. That's awesome. And I feel like it's really contrary to what we hear all the time about, you know, the importance of finding balance in your life, uh, you know, making sure that you can balance your physical and your mental and your emotional um, needs, you know, with your job and and, and kind of all of that and um, this idea of self-care. So it's just, yeah, it's just completely novel to me. So (laughs) There's a wonderful book on that subject. It's called The Power of Full Engagement. And it explores this idea of energy management versus time management. So the premise of the book says there's four kinds of energy, physical and mental and emotional and spiritual. And what we need to be aware of of is our allocation and use of those energies and the, the critical component of recharging and renewing those energies as well. So when we're more self aware and mindful of those things, we can incorporate in our days the habits. So it could be meditation, it could be exercise, it could be yoga, it could be walking in nature, it could be taking a break 10 minutes out of every hour, it could be going to bed at a certain time or taking a nap on the weekends or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But monitoring your own physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual energies allows you to allocate those energies consistent with what your priorities are. And whether they be work or family or health or others, you get to decide what balance looks like there. Hmm. That's great. Sounds like a perfect advice from a business coach, right? <laughs> That's all for today. Tune in next time to hear part two of our conversation with Barry Demp. You can find that and all the other fun and exciting podcasts on our website at blowncreative.com. 
or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks for joining us from the green couch. See you next time.